Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. For this morning, I, I would like for us to kind of press pause one more week on 1 Corinthians and look at Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I actually thought this would be helpful, um, not just for the church, but for my own soul. In thinking through, as we come up on a new year, this whole issue of buying back or redeeming the time. And so we're going to look at Ephesians 5 and verses 15 and 16. And Paul says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, or literally redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So as we come to this short little portion of Scripture, it marks out a new section in the letter that begins here and actually runs all the way down through chapter 6 and verse 9. And um, Paul is uh, building an argument. The first three chapters of Ephesians are, are, are heavy in the doctrinal end of things. And then in 4, 5, and 6, he begins to apply that doctrine to our Christian lives day after day. And so um, that's what you see him doing here um, in drawing out another, yet another implication here in verses 15 and uh, following. Uh, and the melody has changed here in these verses, but the drumbeat that Paul has been beating since chapter 4 in verse 1 has not changed. That remains the same. He is continuing to urge us as followers of Christ to live up to our high calling in Christ. And we see that in chapter 1. I implore you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. And so um, from chapter 5, verse 15, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, Paul's exhorting the believers to live up to their high calling by walking in wisdom. So it's kind of like another way for us to, to live up to our calling. And he's made this uh, same kind of, uh, drawn these same kind of implications out all through chapter 4 and even in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. And then in chapter 7, uh, 5 or 7, therefore do not be partakers with them who are walking in darkness, walk in the light. So, um, so verses 15 to 21, just to kind of get our bearings in this section, he lays out the principle in, in how we're to walk wisely. And then in chapter 5, verse 22, all the way down through 6, verse 9, he applies the principle in the context of some of life's closest relationships, marriage, um, children and parents, fathers, uh, how they're to relate to their children, and then even slaves and masters in the last uh, few verses of the opening section of chapter 6. So, um, so as we come to chapter 5 in verse 15, he gives us this warning. He says, be careful how you walk. Literally, look carefully how we walk. And to look here or to see, obviously, is not talking just literal looking with our physical eyes. He's talking about uh, spiritual perception. Our walk as believers, the habitual pattern of our lives, is to be one of careful spiritual perception. Um, if you've ever watched, and some of you guys got to watch this firsthand yesterday, if you ever watched a one or two-year-old feed themselves, you know that um, more food gets on them than in them, right? Um, their only goal is to get the food that's in front of them as near to their mouth as possible. It doesn't register uh, that they're making a mess. It doesn't register that there's food in their hair, food in their clothes, food on the floor. 
Um, they're not careful about the task. In fact, that's why we fed our kids until they could feed themselves because I couldn't deal with that mess. Some of you have much more higher threshold for that mess than I do. But older children, hopefully, are better trained. Older children are able to use their utensils and take appropriate sized bites and keep the food on the plate while they're eating uh, and have relatively uh, acceptable table manners. Uh, Older children and adults are trained to be careful how we eat. We're careful with how we even serve up our food. We're trained to be perceptive and mindful of our actions and the consequences of those actions as we're going about the task. The same must be true of us as believers, maturing believers. Uh, As followers of Christ, we're to be spiritually perceptive. We're to be mindful We are to be uh, careful in our thoughts and actions and consider the consequences of what we're doing and how we're doing it, whether we are walking wisely or unwisely. And that's really the theme of this section. In chapter 1 and in chapter 3, Paul has emphasized wisdom multiple times. In chapter 1, verse 8, he mentions it. In chapter 1, verse 17, he prays that we would have, God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation In chapter 3, verse 10, he says and prays that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the churches to even the heavenly realm, the heavenly authorities. So wisdom is kind of a a key theme in the book of Ephesians and one that we need to always keep keep in mind as we read this letter. Um, And wisdom, and we've talked about this in some topical series even earlier in the year, wisdom is um, true insight into known facts and how those are applied. It's true insight into known facts and how those are applied. And of course, the greatest wisdom is that which is given to us by God. There's kind of a natural wisdom that we have in the world, um, but to be wise, truly wise, as the scripture defines it, we need to be wise in God's eyes and to have true insight into the nature of God's word and and the implications that flow out of that. So... Of course, the opposite of being wise is being unwise. Uh, The unwise person then has no insight or limited insight into God's plan, God's word, and his ways. But we're hopefully in Christ this morning, and we are God's beloved children. He says earlier in chapter 5, we are children of the light. And so therefore, by implication, we're to be careful. This is how we live our lives, our Christian lives. We're not to be walking as those lacking true insight into God's plan for our lives, but instead are to walk in conformity to God's wise plan and trusting in his word. So that's, that's the, the kind of the idea here. And the manner in which we are to walk wisely is given to us in verse 16. It modifies the phrase in verse 15. He says, making the most of your time or literally redeeming, redeeming the time. Now, we don't, we don't use redeeming a lot as a term just in everyday language unless we're talking about coupons or something like that. But to redeem something is to buy up or buy back an item or even um, in ancient times, a person as slaves were redeemed or bought back. Uh, in the New Testament, this is a, a, a powerful term that we see to describe our salvation in the New Testament. In Galatians 3 verse 13 Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and he did that by becoming a curse for us, taking our place. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs 
on a tree. Or in Colossians 5, in a parallel account of these instructions that he sent to the church in Colossae, Paul says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. We are urged not to delay, to snap up every opportunity, to buy it back, if you will, and to take advantage of everything that God gives us. So time is something we need to manage. Time is something we need to uh, redeem and buy back because it's not in limitless supply. We only have a fixed amount. As one author said, time is an equal opportunity employer. Each human being has exactly, each one of us has the same number of hours and minutes of every day. Rich people can't buy more hours. Scientists can't invent new minutes. And you can't save time to spend it on another day. And um, that's a really insightful uh, uh, comment by this author. Time is a precious commodity. And we have to recognize that. Those of us who are getting older recognize that time moves more quickly. It feels like it's moving more quickly. And so we recognize that when it's spent, it's gone. Someone created, it was obviously satirical, but an advertisement that read as follows. And it was, they put it up and it said, lost yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes. No reward offered because they are gone forever. And the quote illustrates the reality of time. It is fixed and when it's gone, the time that God gives us, it is gone forever, never to be recovered. There's no technology, there's no bargaining, there's no position of authority or no earthly riches that will ever rescue a minute of our lives once it has slipped out of our grasp. And I think we need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that, the preciousness of the time that God has given us, that it is limited. And we need to take to heart Paul's words this morning. And he tells us why that is. We're to walk wisely, redeeming the time that is making the most of every opportunity. And he says, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. This present age is described here and elsewhere as evil. Not just because of um, uh, that there's evil in the world, but be, what he's driving at here is that the days are evil because they are controlled by the evil one in this age. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, speaking of us before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So he's talking about the, 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 the one who exercises dominion, a measure, not absolute dominion, but but a measure of dominion over this present evil world, he controls so much of what's going on. And so these are called evil days. Um, of course, there are days coming that will not be evil in which Christ will rule and reign. And we look with anticipation. That's what we're studying in eschatology. Is we're, we're looking with hope. Christmas is about the end, the beginning of the end, if you will. So much of that has been in our, in our thoughts and our study over the last several weeks. But the prince of the power of the air, as he's described in chapter 2, he actively opposes God and his kingdom at every turn. And so, so those who are under his dominion won't rest until every opportunity in this life to, um, 
proclaim God's words is silenced and limited. So you and I as believers, just living now in this present evil age, we simply can't afford to waste a lot of opportunities because to do so plays into the hands of the one who rules this present evil world. And Paul got that. And he is driving at that in this text. The Jews and even other professing believers were conspiring against Paul as they conspired against Christ in our scripture reading this morning. And their scheming, it led to Paul's imprisonment. Remember, he's writing this letter in prison. He's under, uh, under uh, chains in Rome. And their scheming led to his silencing, at least his, his itinerant ministry, and yet even in his imprisonment, he was preaching Christ. Even in his incarceration, he proclaimed the gospel. And in fact, in chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, I want you to know that my circumstances in his imprisonment turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Because he says now the gospel is known throughout the guardians of the praetorian realm there uh, and many other believers are emboldened to preach Christ. So, so Paul understood we need to redeem every opportunity, even negative opportunities, um, things that on the face of it look like they're f- like a f- some kind of failure. And Paul says we must not fear this present evil age. We, it's interesting he doesn't tell us to uh, avoid this present evil age in the sense of uh, kind of isolating ourselves from everything, he says, rather, walk wisely in this present evil age by seizing every opportunity. And that's, that's what I want us to remember this Sunday as we begin the new year in just uh, about five or six more days here. You and I are commanded not to let the God of this age intimidate or drive us to... Um, fail to take advantage of every opportunity in the midst of our lives. We want to please God in all things. And that's really the heart of this message. Uh, We see that walking wisely necessitates, it, it demands redeeming the time that God has given us for his glory. And so with the few minutes that we have, Uh, in this message, I want us to consider that this whole phrase of redeeming the time. And I want to do that by kind of pivoting from Ephesians to Proverbs. I want us to look in survey fashion at the book of Proverbs because Proverbs uh, is the book of wisdom, is a book of wisdom in the scriptures. And it tells us how to think about and spend our time. It gives us a lot of very practical hands-on instruction so that we might redeem it. And, of course, with this new year, I want us to be thinking with that mindset. We want to be thinking we're not just in a holding pattern. We need to be redeeming the time that God gives us. The, I think, um, especially over the last couple of years, uh, the evil one has done a great job of convincing us that our time belongs to us, that it somehow is ours, that we can kind of do whatever we want with it, um, and that it is meant to serve our desires our priorities, our concerns um, at any cost. But what the wisdom of God and what the Word of God says is that we need to think about it very differently. When we come to Christ, we confess that Jesus is Lord. I mean, that comes with some requirements. 
And um, he has control over our lives. As we get into 1 Corinthians 6 here in just a couple of weeks, we're going to see that he's going to remind us that we're no longer our own. We were bought with a price. And he says, therefore, glorify God in your body. And uh, in Colossians, I mean, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, whatever you do and eat, whether you eat or drink, we are to do it to glorify God and to make him look great and to magnify Jesus Christ. So the point is that when we gave our lives to Christ, our lives were entrusted to him and he expects us to manage our lives for him and for his glory. He gives it to us, everything, life and breath and godliness, including he's also given us our treasures, our talents and our time for his purposes, for his purposes. So that's what we want to consider. We are stewards, managers of our time because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And we want to do, manage it in such a way as to be found trustworthy. So uh, just by way of outline this morning, I want you to note, uh, kind of first thing I want you to note if you're taking notes is redeeming the time necessitates shunning laziness and embracing diligence. So if you want to give it some legs, some practical legs, redeeming the time entails or means, and by implication, shunning laziness, setting aside laziness, and instead putting on diligence, embracing diligence. And when you look at Proverbs, um, I mean, Proverbs is just chock full of little truisms uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as Solomon, who wrote most of Proverbs, he, he, he has lots of pithy wisdom for us to avoid laziness. Laziness, if you look at survey fashion at Proverbs, laziness is an offense to God. Uh, the way he speaks about it, um, it's sin. And I think one of the reasons it's so offensive to God is because it's so supremely wasteful. We have such a limited amount of time that we can't get back that to waste time is to waste the, one of the most precious things that God gives us. Psalm 139, verse 16, he, Paul, I mean, excuse me, David writes that our time is finite, and he reminds us, your eyes, speaking to God, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there, is not one, there was not one of them. So we all have a fixed number of days. Some of us have been given many days. Some of us have been given less we don't know what those number, what that number is. The Lord does. He could return at any moment. We could die at any time. But the point is, our time is finite. It feels infinite at times, especially when you're younger. But it's not. It's very much fixed. Job 14. I love Job 14. He says, man who was born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Ecclesiastes, again, the whole book is about life as a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You and I don't know the day or the hour that we will exhaust the time that God's given us, and therefore we cannot throw it away in laziness. Proverbs appeals even to the ant. You look at, I love the ant, O slugger, he says, observe them, her ways, and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Proverbs 6, verse 
6 to 11 says, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? And when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come upon you like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. I mean, this is graphic language. Uh, this, is desol- this is the language of desolation in stark contrast between us and this little tiny ant who seems to have nobody directing it, no one moving it, no one telling it what to do, and yet they are able to manage their time wisely, and um, even the ant isn't lazy. So it's kind of an argument from the, the greater to the lesser. If, if, if an ant... The ant can manage it. Why can't we? Proverbs 18, verse 9 says, He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The author lumps the lazy man into the family of the one who is destructive. They're both wasteful. One wastes life. The other wastes time. Proverbs 19, and verse 15, Laziness casts into a deep sleep And an idle man will suffer hunger. So just think about, they lived in an agrarian society. Um, Everyone lived and worked to survive, to eat. And a lazy person who didn't work was likely to starve if no one stepped in to provide for their needs. Their laziness wasn't just an affront to God. It would put their their own lives in jeopardy. Proverbs 21 And verse 25 says, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hand refuses to work. All day long he is craving. And again, I think it's worth noting, even in this verse, that laziness is not just an offense to God, but it's it's a heart problem. It's an internal heart issue. The lazy person isn't a person with no desires. It isn't the person... With, um, uh, with no, you know, indifferent to everything. No, they have often wrong desires, and those desires lead to death. All day long he is craving, but what he's craving doesn't please God. What he's craving doesn't, doesn't honor or glorify God. So laziness at its root is a spiritual issue, and it's a desire to consistently find joy, or at least attempt to find joy in doing that which is eternally worthless. As Christians, we need to be killing laziness then all the time. We need to be putting it to death because laziness is out to put us to death if we're not careful and to waste this precious thing that God has given us, which is our time. So we must shun laziness. We need to see it for what it is and put it aside, put it to death by the Spirit through the Word of God. And the Word, and I would encourage you, read Proverbs Go through it and just make a note along a singular theme and see how the scriptures speak about laziness and let it inform your mind and your heart and cause you to see it the way God sees it. But it's not enough just to hate laziness. We need to, as we said in the beginning of this point, put on righteousness, put on diligence in its place. Um, Proverbs 10 Verse 4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son 
who act shamefully. Or Proverbs 12, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Or Proverbs 12, and verse 27, a lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. And you can find more Proverbs along the same lines. The contrast here is stark. The lazy man whose life is filled with wasteful, wasted opportunities, it says his life is full of deficiency and death. But the diligent, the hardworking man, is esteemed, is admirable, and is blessed. His efforts are commended and his future is hopeful as we look at these verses and others. I, I like reading biographies, particularly of men and women who accomplished great things for Christ. And I always love to peer into their lives. What were their day-to-day lives like? And if you, if you can get a good biography, you can often find out a lot of people's habits. Calvin was a fascinating study in redeeming the time. In his ministry in Switzerland, um, one biographer says, Calvin, for his part, did not spare himself at all working far beyond what his power and regard for health could stand. He preached commonly every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Every week he lectured three times in theology. Every Friday at the Bible study, what he added after the leader had made his declaration was almost a lecture in itself. He never failed to visit the sick or in private warning counsel, And the rest of the numberless matters that he attended to arose out of an ordinary exercise of his ministry. And yet, all that did not prevent him from going on and working on his special study and composing many splendid and useful books, namely his institutes, which if you know anything about Calvin's institutes, are a massive tome. It's just incredible, his productivity. And he dealt with chronic illness, chronic stomach issues, chronic sickness and weakness in a time where they didn't understand how diseases even spread. And so he did all of this in the midst of that. He redeemed every opportunity. It puts me to shame. (laughs) I feel shame when I read that. If we're to redeem the time, we cannot be the kind of people who run aimlessly like spiritual headless chickens. And so often that's what we do. We can't be the kind of people who exhaust ourselves, as Paul says, beating the air. Every minute of every day is given to us by Christ to redeem and to manage for his name's sake. We're to be responsible, we're to be diligent, and we're to keep our hands on the plow for his gospel purposes. For some here this morning, the issue is not that you're lazy in the sense of doing nothing, um, or lazy in the sense of just having running around aimlessly, but you are poor stewards of your time and you don't redeem it because your priorities are misplaced. Priorities are out of whack. And that leads into the second point I want to make. Redeeming the time not only entails shunning laziness and embracing diligence, but it entails pursuing God's priorities and forsaking our own. We need to forsake our own selfish desires and to pursue God's priorities because we can be very, very busy and still be terrible managers of our time. And that we need to underscore that 
in your notes. You can be very busy, and I can be very busy, and not be a good manager of our time. Because we are pursuing things that the Word of God says are unnecessary or not priorities. Proverbs 28, verse 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. Notice here, the wise man and the foolish man are both working. They're both doing things. And yet he points out that the wise man is busy working the land, which he needs to do as first priority to provide for his family and their basic needs. But the foolish man is busy chasing his dreams, right? Instead of what he needs to be doing. They're empty pursuits. Proverbs 24 and verse 27 says, prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. Right? Take care of what's essential first. Afterwards, then go build your house. So, again, he's, you, don't, you don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. You need to have resources to build your home. You don't want to be like that one who didn't consider the cost, as Jesus said, who started to build and realizes, oh, I don't have enough. No, he says, you have to have the right priorities Take care of things outside first. Make it ready. Then take care of everything else. We need to have the right priorities. And this proverb, if you extrapolate it out to the, to the level of timeless principle, is instructive. Because a lot of us, let's face it, at times we have the wrong priorities. We're not focused on what God wants us to be focused on. Um, we're so consumed with our jobs or we're so consumed with our families, that we neglect other things that God commands us to be involved with, like God's people in his church, or, or maybe we're so involved in church that we neglect our family and we fail to love and serve our, our family. Um, maybe we're so diligent to pursue our hobbies and interests that we neglect our own soul and we neglect to feed ourselves with the word of God and or we've so ordered our lives as to basically crowd Christ out of everything that we're doing. Uh, we have the wrong priorities. They reveal a wrong heart. And I had a pastor years ago, and I, I'm so thankful for his loving correction. He was going on and on about kind of this, this theme of redeeming and being faithful and being, uh, you know, on task, so to speak, spiritually. And I was in seminary, and I was, you know, I was newly married, and I had a lot going on, and I just felt like I was spread so thin. And here he is telling me, I need to, I need to be more faithful, I need to be more diligent, I need to be more, we need to work harder. And I just said, well, I said, Pastor, w w what about balance? And uh, his response was, was fascinating. He, he said, there, there is no such thing as balance. And I, know, I think I know what he means, and I think you understand what I'm saying. There is obviously time for rest, and there's time for restoration. That's not what he's saying. But he says, oftentimes when people use the term balance, they imply a binary option. It's either this or that. What's the, by balance, they mean I can do X or not do X. And um, it's not, and he says, that's the wrong way to think about it. He says, it's not care for your family or be meaningfully connected to the local church. It's not work a job and provide or disciple and shepherd those around you. It's not love and serve God's people or love and serve yourself. It's not, it's not, there's none of that. He said, God calls you to do all of it. 
God calls you to love your family. God calls you to provide husbands to provide for your family. God calls you to be meaningfully connected to the local church, to love and serve his people. God calls you to feast on his word and to meditate on it day and night. And if any of those things is keeping you from the other things, your priorities are wrong. My priorities will be wrong. To walk wisely, making the most of every opportunity, entails stepping out in faith to make whatever changes are necessary to make God's priorities my priorities and your priorities. So very important. We need to remember that in redeeming the time entails pursuing God's priorities and forsaking our own. It's not that we can't have seasons of rest and restoration. We need to get to bed each night. God makes us so we have to sleep. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Um, I'm thankful for days off. And I think we should have a regular day or two off each week. I think that's a, if God allows you to do that, that's great. Um, and, but I also know that he wants you to, to, as one pastor said, not get your rest from the ministry, but get your rest in the ministry, in the work of serving others and loving others. That's where we find our joy and restoration and encouragement. That's why corporate worship is important. Okay? That's why we want to gather as the church every week. I need that. You need that. We all need that. We need each other. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. And so the question I just want to leave you with this morning is we think about all of this, redeeming the time and whatnot, is are you willing to, to do that? Are you willing to make whatever changes are necessary to shun laziness and embrace diligence? Are you willing to pursue God's priorities and forsake your own priorities and your own desires? You say, Jeff, if I do that, I might have to give up this, or I might have to give up that, or I might have to reshape this aspect of my life or completely turn this part of my life upside down and might have to change jobs. I might have to walk away from this commitment or that commitment that I've been involved with for years. I might have to downsize my lifestyle to fit my budget, to, to which I would say, yeah, you might. You might have to do those things. But that's what it means to be a follower of Christ, that you love him more than the things of this world. And the joy and the heavenly rewards that come from that dramatically outweigh the bitterness of any sacrifice. I mean, that was Jesus. I mean, when, when, when the disciples said to Jesus, well, what about us, you know? We've left everything. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions in the age to come. And in the age to come, we'll receive eternal life. And so we need to keep that mindset in front of us. We need to fill up our hearts with that reality. And as we come to the new year, we need to consider that. Too many Christians have been convinced that this present evil age is ours, that we can do whatever we want with our time. And uh, that the time is kind of serving our desires and our priorities and our concerns at all costs. 
And uh, so many are chasing after the world at the peril of their own souls. But what Paul spells out here, as we go back to Ephesians, is that our time belongs to God, just like everything else belongs to God. And uh, we must make the most of every opportunity to glorify the one who brought us to himself and bought us with his precious blood. So as we think about the new year, we're always making resolutions, things we're going to do, things we're not going to do anymore. Um, I encourage you to think about how you will, as I am thinking about, how can I better redeem the time? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this simple instruction. And um, Lord, we confess that uh, it's so easy to get distracted. We carry around that distraction in our pockets all the time. Constantly, our attention is constantly divided. Our focus, our priorities are constantly shifting to things that they ought not to be. And we feel the weight of that. We, we see that. And Lord, help us to find rest in the appropriate times and moments. Help us to, to be diligent, to get exercise and good sleep and take care of ourselves physically. But Lord, we pray that we would fill up our hearts and minds spiritually each and every day as well so that we would have the endurance to run the race and to finish the course. We pray, Lord, that we would shun laziness and embrace diligence afresh. Pray, Lord, that we would make your priorities our priorities. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes this recording. We hope you have been encouraged by the message you have heard. For more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ, additional sermon audio, or information about Cascades Bible Church, visit us online at cascadesbiblechurch.com.